Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your game-loving host, Liam Edwards, and welcome to the 19th episode of the show. Joining me this week is a Games Media Award-nominated video producer, whose daily videos and work at the excellent Nintendo Life have earned him some well-deserved praise. Since starting out only two years ago, first as a writer and then transitioning to video last year, he's helped push Nintendo's Life's own YouTube channel way past 80,000 subscribers, and his face has become synonymous with the site. Alongside regular daily content and his lovely catchphrase, he's got an ever-growing fanbase as well. My guest today is the very talented and lovely Alex Olney. Hello, Alex. Hello there, lovely Liam. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm all right. It's, um, well, I, I was going to say it's an early start for me. I mean, it's not an early start in the grander scheme of things, but um, let's just say I haven't been awake as long as I should have had. <laughs> you also probably stayed up quite longer than you should have as well, I imagine. Well, yes, it was. Um, well, for me, it was a late one. It was about midnight, watching mainly watching Louis Theroux. Oh, excellent. Is that the new series you've been watching? Oh, it's not new. It's old, but it's on Netflix, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. And oh, Also, it was, it was the episode where he um, goes and uh, sees the Westboro Baptist Church, which is always ah, fun. Ah, yes, that lovely episode of those hateful lot. <laughs> so, you are here today. <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about, is it? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so, you are here to talk about some games and stuff. But first, before we move on to that, I want to know how you got your start, because uh, you have become quite the popular popular chap in the, oh, the world of video oh, producing and, and uh but you've only been doing it for two years so uh shed Not some light that. on how this all sort of started for you and um well um it all started as with all great stories with tomodachi life tomodachi life okay this is interesting <laughs> this is very interesting well i was um i was following the site um for a, a few months because i'd recently got myself um a wii u Okay. Um, a ago, that would have been 2014. Yes. I got myself a Wii U. I, saw, I sold my iPad to buy one because I thought, you know what? This looks like a console with legs. It, has, <laughs> it doesn't have legs, but it does have some great games. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be written on your gravestone, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah. I, I, started, I started following Nintendo Life because I was actually looking at, I was reading another site called Wii U Daily for a while. Ah oh, yes, and, um, I remember that site. Yeah, and it turns out that that site it's it's fine, but it's just it's not got the um, it's not got the character that Nintendo Life has. It doesn't have the personality. And uh, also, I did get in contact with uh, Wii U Daily and so asked whether I could do some writing. They said, "Sure, give us an example of your work." And that was the last I heard from them. And I did send back some work, so okay, you know, it wasn't through any fault of my own. <laughs> um, so I can, I you know, so I mean, it happens all the time in the industry. But I got a little bit jaded because it was the first time I'd asked to do any sort of professional writing. And uh, then I was just going through Nintendo Life, and I thought, well, could I ask them? This, this, it's clearly a huge site in comparison to this other one. You know, would I even have a chance, this, that, yeah. the other? And um, then they ran a competition, a caption competition for Tomodachi Life. Oh, okay. And it was a picture, it was a picture of... Um, uh, it was, <laughs> it was a, a picture of the... Um, the late president. Oh, why is his name? his name escapes me, and that feels awful. All I can think of is Shigeru Miyamoto and Kimishima because I've tried to force Iwata. myself. <laughs> Iwata. Satori Iwata. Yeah, I feel terrible for not being able to remember. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. And uh, it was a picture of his me putting some money into a piggy bank as they do every day. Yes. Um, but I didn't really know much of the context. Uh, content. Uh, context, rather. 
And uh, so I, I didn't know what was actually going on. So I said, um, Iwata-san checks, the, checks Nintendo's profits for the year. And that was, um, that was enough to win me the caption competition. Okay. The which, um, yeah, the prize of which was to feature in Tomodachi Life in, their, um, in Nintendo Life's little sort of a community that they have there. And uh, appear in a video as well, a video series called Days of Our Tomodachi Lives, that <laughs> in, in the nicest possible way fell on its ass. But nevertheless, that was my <laughs> video debut in a way. And um, after that, I dropped an email because I got in contact with Dame, um, Damien McFerrin directly, my colleague, yeah. and yeah. said, um, you know, because I had to give them the information about my me and things like that. And um, then I said, would there be any chance of doing any sort of, you know, any writing work if there's nothing, you know, if there's anything going that you can't be bothered to do or anything like that? And um, I didn't hear a response and I thought, oh, it's happened again. But, you know, second time's not as bad as the first. Yeah. Didn't think about it. About six weeks later, I got an email back from Damien. <laughs> Ever the fantastic email correspondent that he is. Um, he, I chatted to him afterwards. Apparently, he had every intention of replying immediately, but he just he just didn't. And Tom had and Tom, Tom said, "Did you ever get back to that, Alex?" Blake? And he went, "Oh." And got back, but he said he said it was the most eloquently written email he's ever received from anybody asking to. Oh, that's good. Doing any writing for them, so I was quite proud of that fact. And uh, so I, I just started doing some writing for them um, for about six months, to the detriment of my degree. I um, was, uh, you know, I was just doing the occasional review and um, article and things like that, news article. And um, then I left university, and uh, you know, I came to the conclusion, you know, well, I've been doing this for six months now. Let's see if I can start getting some cash for it. But I thought I've got to offer I've got to offer something new. I can't just say now I want money because you know that's not how it works. Yeah. So I um I I went to um I went to I believe it was Damien and said I've got these ideas some ideas for video. Would you you know would you be uh, would you be interested? You know I can do all these things for you. You know I can do the whole process, but it's not something I could do for free. You see, I was trying to get my foot in the door in that sense, <laughs> and uh, so. <laughs> Then I just, um, you know, and then Damien turned around with um, the, um, uh, was it the creator of the website, uh, Anthony Dickens, and said, well, as it happens, we're looking for somebody to go full time. And so, oh, and so it was down to me and one other chap, and I managed to just nudge ahead. And the rest is history. As they say. Excellent. That is a very intriguing way. That you managed it's, to make it's, it in. It's an intricate story, to say the least. I've Tom, been, I, I've been very lucky. I had a lot of, um, a lot of lucky breaks and things like that. But I've also worked hard. It doesn't just come purely through luck. Well, to stay in the position you are in obviously requires very continual hard work. As you said before we started recording, you were like, "Let's get the show on the road," because I've got a long day ahead of me. I've got a busy day. So, <laughs> um, excellent. And and you owe it all to. That wonderfully weird game, Tomodachi Life, which I do. I, spoilers I every, every does... single video to that quirky thing. That <laughs> and spoilers, was good fun for, it was good fun for a couple of weeks, and then it can it didn't have any longevity to what it was. <laughs> no, <laughs> which that's is a true. Shame, it I, didn't. I, I same as same. See, same as Mitomo. It just seems to it's die flat. The same thing has happened with Mitomo. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it deserves to do better, but I had to delete it from my phone because it was taking up over half a gig, and it was just it was just too much storage. I need the storage for work because I record all my audio on my phone because 
unprofessional like that. <laughs> uh, using a microphone, I hasten to point out, I'm not just like sticking it beside me, um, which is why it sounds so so wonderfully crystal clear. If you, Excellent. if you like. That's it the uniqueness up. of uh, I actually use my iPhone to record my video for the videos I make because I have a camera, but the iPhone camera is better. It's just how <laughs> technology has strangely progressed. Um, yeah, so you owe it all to Tomodachi Life, but spoilers for anyone listening, that is not on your list. How could it you? It is not. No. How could you? How could you? Poor Tomodachi well, Life. Well, because, you know, I'm going to be stuck on a desert island. I don't want to be stuck in the past. <laughs> Fair so, enough. To be honest, most of the game—I was about to say—most of the games I've picked are from the past. All the games I've picked are from the past because if they're from the future, Jesus Christ, I'm not getting paid enough. That well, you could always sort of bargain. Can I have a game that is announced and going to be released? I am hedging my bets. Like, oh, I reckon No Man's Sky. Although has there is rumours it's been delayed again today. I reckon No Man's Sky is going to be the greatest game ever. Please send that to me in a bottle to the island when it gets released. You could hedge your bets on stuff like that. And technically, no. that is a game from the future. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that because um, there's the level of uncertainty. Exactly. But the games like you have chosen very, are very all very solid, solid games, and there are, there are, there are a few. There are no games from this current generation, but there are a few are from the last generation. So it's not too old. It's not too old. But there are I, some I'm great. Sure, games. I'm sure I put some. So I'm, I'm going to have to open up my list because I've completely forgotten what my list is. But I have I seriously not put anything <laughs> from this generation. That's terrible. This current that, generation, that's, no. That's a, that's a curry list. That's not my list. Good Lord, no. No, I have. No, no, no. This one from this generation. You lying, lying to rag. Is there really? Yeah. You're not looking hard enough, are you? Have you got the list up? You should have the list up. I Monster do. Monster Hunter. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. But you're not going to say that doesn't count because it's on the 3ds, are you? No, because I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to say. I'm going to say you, you win this argument. I'm going to say you I win do. this. You're I do. Win I, I win so many. <laughs> well, spoilers for one of them. It's Monster Hunter. Yeah. Should we start, <laughs> well, should we start off with that one then? I think. I think. I think we should. I think that would be. I think this is the first time this kind of thing has happened. So. Oh, Let's listen well, to some I'm music. Glad to be able to mix things up a bit. <laughs> Coming in here, barging your way in, and taking my show by the reins. Even you even did my your catchphrases. Agenda. You entered in. This it's excellent. It's just excellent. <laughs> so we're going to listen to some music from the aforementioned Monster Hunter and dive straight into it.
So, Alex, the first game you've chosen for your list today is a game of the current generation. Um, although technically, yes. it released in September 2013 in Japan uh, as Monster Hunter 4. It didn't receive a Western release until two years later under the guise of the Ultimate Edition. It's the fourth mainline title in Capcom's much-beloved monster-slaying action title, and it's also the best-reviewed in the series. As we said, it's Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Alex, please tell me why you've chosen Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate as the game taking with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very good indeed. Yes, it's very good. absolutely That's right. Moving on, moving on. No. <laughs> <laughs> Next game. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that I think the thing that appeals to me with Monster Hunter so much, and um, particularly in Monster Hunter Four, is the um, the extreme, extreme longevity of the game. I mean, when you actually sort of take a step back and look at the game, there's not actually a huge amount going on. If that makes any sense. I mean, there's obviously there's so much to play, and you can sink so many hours into it, but there's not actually that much it's just everything that you do takes so long and you've got to you've got to practice you've got to learn and i think the practicing and the learning is the thing that really appeals to me because yes you upgrade your armor you upgrade your weapons and that's important but you can have the best armor in the game and the best weapon in the game and still lose to a great jaggy if you don't know (laughs) what you're doing because if you don't know if you don't know how the game works if you don't know how um Sorry, I'm, I'm getting notifications, so I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna mute things for a moment. There we go. Um, if you don't if you don't understand what's going on, if you don't know the ins and outs, you don't know the monsters themselves, you're gonna die. It's as simple as that. You just you can't beat them, and that's one of the most unique things about Monster Hunter is that you go in. If you go in with no knowledge, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. You've got to have that practice. You've got to work at it, and it's much more about the experience and the understanding of each individual monster and when they attack how to dodge what best weapons to use and things like that then it's it's not about you know your armor and your weapons it's not about leveling up in the same way it's yeah. about leveling yourself up as a person increasing your skill level and that's something that i genuinely don't think is very common in games these days okay yeah i have always sort of thought of monster hunter in a very similar way it's um for a long time, before Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, uh, it was a very uh, kind of unapproachable series. Although here in Japan, it's obviously one of the biggest series of all time. Uh, people take sick days on launch days for this game constantly. Uh, it's huge. It's very, very big. But uh, in the West, it never really caught on. We can't say it had the popularity that it does now. Uh, games uh, for the PSP, obviously you had the infamous Monster Hunter, the Monhan Claw, where you used to have one thumb on a thumbstick and then your finger curled around a D-pad. Um, but Monster Hunter 4 it created this kind of approachable version. Not quite like easy mode, but it, it had all these new weapons, some that were quite easy to use, um, and it had all these new features that made it a lot more approachable. But as you said, if you go in not knowing what you're doing, you're going to get stomped. You're going to get killed by these fantastically huge monsters. Um, you are that, yeah. And what is amazing about Monster Hunter is the just... It, you can go at it for 60-odd hours mastering one weapon... And building up different versions of that weapon, but you'll be awful with other weapons. And then when you want to go try those weapons, it, it starts the whole process again. It has that incredible amount of replayability. 
And I think, yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly in that. That's one of the reasons why it would be one of those games that I would take to a deserted island for whatever reason. <laughs> with electricity, as we discussed. Um, so, because you can just, you can play it over and over again. And even though, you know, sort of technically you you can go and fight the same monster, you know, four times, even with the same weapon. And it's a different experience every time because the monsters behave very naturally. They are all very unique as well. Beautifully designed, very well, very intelligent as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like word. Um, they're very clever. They know how to get around you. Uh, they do things like they have faint attacks and things like that to try and throw you off. So you've really, you've really got to be on your guard and it's um, Monster Hunter is a very stressful game. It has to be said. You don't pick up <laughs> to have a nice, relaxing time. But it is that's because it's just so engaging, and it's just honest. Honestly, I um I really wish I could play it more, but um it just comes down to a, a the the boring old problem of time, and that's the game. With, that's the case with a lot of games these days. The, the, fact, it is a game that requires your very. Your attention for a long time. Unsided attention. Yeah. And to make any headway, you need, you need to be at least playing in 50 to 60 hours to really make a dent on what makes that game so special. Sorry, could you repeat that? Yeah, no problem. It's um, <laughs> one of those games that it takes about 50 to 60 hours to really start making a dent on what makes it so special. If you get me, like you get past the tutorials take a long time and they're not exactly the most fun experiences and you start learning about armor and things start clicking back and forth. Um, so it takes a long time before you, you're really on your own with your own set of armor and you, and you got to grips with a, a weapon quite a bit. It does take a while before you're really on your feet being a monster hunter. You're just sort of yeah. being handheld up until that point, really. Yes, I mean, um, it's it, as you as you were saying earlier. It's a little, it's quite a bit more accessible than Monster Hunter Three. I mean, it's it's still like running through treacle to begin with, because they are the games are so deep and complicated. But Monster Hunter Four, um, well, Monster Hunter Four Ultimate, I can't speak for the original version because I've never played it. Um, really does um, open things up quite a bit more um, for new players, and they're going to be. And that is even more the case. I can tell you with confidence. With um, Monster Hunter Generations, you're right. Um, that's because they introduced the um, the Prowlers, which are essential. Essentially, you can sort of treat them as a tutorial character because um, to use them relatively effectively um, is not nearly as complicated. You don't have to worry about healing items and things like that, or anything like that. You don't have to pack up. You have um, you know, you have set weapons and skills and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, I think that's I think that's really good. Also, as a Monster Hunter veteran, still... Well, I say veteran. As a Monster Hunter uh, adept, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's still an incredible amount of fun to play with the Prowler, uh, to run around as, as a little feline. It's, it's just... It's almost a dream come true. I agree. I have the Japanese version. I have Cross. Ah. And I've been playing Monster Hunter Cross since its release last year um, with some Japanese friends. It's very, very fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to read actually what's going on in the game. But what the beauty of Monster Hunter (laughs) is you don't particularly need to know that sometimes. 
You just need not, to... Not, all the... no, not unless you're trying to read a tutorial, of course. No, exactly. So I'm looking forward to Generations. I will also get that as well. Speaking of future games, then, would you rather take Generations instead of Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate? Would you hedge your bets on that one? Ooh, oh, that's a tricky question. Um, I would say... Um, I would say yes, and I think I can say that confidently because I'm, you know, I've, I've played the game very briefly. I genuinely believe um, that it's just one of those games that, with Monster Hunter, it gets better every time. And the previous games don't necessarily supersede, um, sorry, the, the, the newer games don't necessarily supersede the previous games, but I don't see myself ever going back to Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate when I get Generations. I mean, I, I may do, you know, for one reason or another, but I certainly won't be playing it to the level that I do today. Ooh, they're very intriguing. Uh, early review, if you will. Of my... <laughs> <laughs> well, Monster Hunter really goes without saying, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised it's taken 19 episodes before it's appeared. We've had a lot of people talk about a lot of different Japanese games, but Monster Hunter is one of those games you think, if you're going to have to play a game forever... Choose one where it has such... Choose one that you can play forever. Exactly, exactly. So, I reckon this is a fantastic start to the show. Monster Hunter goes without saying. So, why don't we move into the older games now? We've got got the new generation out of the way. Let's let's go back in time to the games I (laughs) thought you had, only old games. Um, So let's listen to some excellent music, truly excellent music from this next game and dive straight into it. So, Alex, before we move in to talk about your next game, uh, we have the part of the show where you have to sort of choose the deserted island you're trapped on. So, th- this is like a, like a virtual deserted island. So, my guests are trapped in a place from gaming. So, right. but is like I don't want the I don't want pain to be inflicted upon you. I, I want you to be quite comfortable at least to be able to play these games. Otherwise, there's no point to it. So. I allow you the choice of desertion. Where where are you in the realms of gaming? What instantly comes to your head that you wouldn't mind being deserted in? God, um, does it have to be an island? Does it have to be a desert island? No, it's just somewhere, anywhere is fine. There are no people. There are no people. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you go. There's nobody there, just you. Ooh, uh, ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, Although there are no people, there are monsters. So if you do choose a, a place from gaming that has monsters, like Monster Hunter, 
you will encounter those monsters. Xenoblades out the window then? That well, I don't know. It depends <laughs> whether you get in their aggro range or not. You could just sort of you could skip around their aggro range <laughs> for the rest I of your spend life. Spend my life <laughs> trying to stay out of a certain radius of monsters. <laughs> Us playing video games. <laughs> well, uh, yes. <laughs> well, if it, if we're I talking about Xenoblade it's... Chronicles X, then it would be the new New York, New California, whatever it's called, New Los Angeles. I forget. Los Angeles, um, so you can you... roll off the tongue in the same way. Yeah, so you can just sort of hide in you there. <laughs> that could be fun. Um, no, I, okay. No, I think I, I think I've come to a decision. I think I have. I'd like to. I think I'd like to stay on Outset Island. Outset Island. Okay, that's a very small island. It is, but there's only me. I don't want it to be too big. Okay, you're just gonna fish and play some games, pass the time in the sun, and that beautiful, yeah, beautiful thing. Enjoy, enjoy the weather. Have the the cool sea breeze. You know, swelling over my nipples um, because I'm the only one there. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be starkers. Let's not. Uh, beat around the bush. There's no um, need for clothing on, you know, in any of these places, really. Oh no, precisely. And um, yeah, you got the you got the little houses. I got my choice of houses. I could have one for gaming. I could have one for eating. And uh, I don't know why <laughs> a specific house for eating. But, well, you never know. <laughs> I do. I do a lot of cooking and a lot of eating. So um, would it all be beautiful cell shaded graphics as well? Oh, that'd be great because it's always sunny there, except when it's not. And except when giant birds are stealing your. No, it's even sunny then. Also, That's there's no true. one. To, there's, there's no one there to steal. The giant birds are just going to be really disappointed because they can't take me from the island because that that goes against the rules. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. That's very true. You are safe. Okay, so for the purpose of of today's show, you are on the outside island from the Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker. Uh, in the beautiful sunshine playing these video games and the next video game you're going to be playing um, it's it's first appearance on the show and is an excellent game uh, a very a game very close to my own heart personally too a game you and me spoke about last week as well when we were having a lovely chat as well uh, we spoke about this game for nearly an hour <laughs> so but it's going to be a lot yeah, shorter today yeah. <laughs> so the next game is a platformer and a, like a collectible platformer that featured prominently on the Nintendo 64 it was a bird and a bear that stole all our hearts it was developed by Rare and released in June 1998 players collected jiggies musical notes skulls and all sorts of manner of things but most importantly puzzle pieces or jigsaw pieces yes, and you know, it featured exceptional music from Grant Kirkhope, and it's an excellent game. And Robin Beanland, don't forget him. Yes, absolutely. It's Banjo Kazooie. It Alex, is, yes. You've chosen Banjo Kazooie. I honestly can't. But yes, Banjo Kazooie, arguably, arguably my favourite game of all time. Because when people, you know, one of the questions that get asked so often by different people is, "What is your favourite game?" And for the longest time, I was just like, oh, you, I can't possibly pick one game. And, you know, it basically, basically felt like a cop-out. So I made a decision that my favorite game of all time is Banjo-Kazooie. Because it's, it's just got an incredible depth of charm. The um, levels are all superbly designed. The character's dialogue is absolutely perfect. It's bright, it's bold, it's colourful, it's just an absolute joy to play. The controls are absolutely spot on. 
there's there's almost almost nothing you can fault with the game except that stop and swap doesn't work. <laughs> That's true. So, how did you first play Banjo Kazooie? Because this is very much a game that. It came kind of bundled together with a whole host of other Nintendo 64 games I got at the same time. And it was a part of a very small collection I had because obviously I was very young. I didn't, I wasn't able to buy games all the time. So I just constantly replayed the games I had. And I've played through Banjo-Kazooie, I don't know, 15 to 20 different times. Um, but that's a special time uh, around that for me. But where were you at when you were playing it? Did you come into it late, or were you playing it around the peak of the N64's popularity? I I, um, I received it in 1998, actually. Oh, no, no, hang on a minute. Let me try and work. No, it, was, it would have been 1999, I believe, um, because it was, my, it was my eighth birthday. Okay. And I remember... <laughs> unfortunately, I remember it so clearly, because um, uh, unfortunately, on the same day, my grandfather died. Oh. On my birthday. <laughs> So, um, okay. it's, it's something I never forget. Certainly not. But um, by the same token, Banjo, you know, I think that's that's also one of the reasons why it holds such a special place in my heart. Because, I, you know, I associate the game with my late grandfather. And um, for all of his marginally angry tendencies from time to time, he was a lovely man. And um, it was... Uh, it, it was It was just magical playing that game because I, I played mario 64 and it felt like mario 64 had been evolved into this much more intricate much more um sort of open world it felt much more natural because um, mario 64 wonderful game can't knock it almost perfect um but going into the you know you go into the paintings and stuff like that that's fine but you have to then come out every time you get a star and things like that banjo kazooie you pick up a jiggy and you're still in the game that was that was like a, a that was a big moment for me, which is really sad. But it was just, you know, the fact that you get the jiggy and you're still in the level and you can go and get another one and another one and another one and another one. And it just, it was just a really wonderful time for me. And N64, you know, I was only eight at the time and it was just, it was just, it was just great. The whole thing was just, it's just magic. What do you think, it's funny because around that time there were a lot of very similar games like Donkey Kong 64 and also developed by Rare. Um, what do you sort of think that sets Banjo-Kazooie apart from those other games? Because even Banjo-Kazooie gets ripped a lot for just being this game where you collect lots of things. By by idiots, yeah. Uh, basically, <laughs> oh. I... Um, I um... I, I feel the thing that sets Banjo Kazooie apart is the fact that ev- everything just links in together so beautifully. The music is fantastic. The level design is fantastic. It all every single element of the game complements another, and it just it all comes together in this wonderful amalgamation of just complete joy and charm and wonderment. And there's there's not there's not a duff moment in the game. The final boss is fantastic. For the longest time, I couldn't even defeat the final boss, primarily because I was a child. Um, but with you know everything, you know it. It's just so happy and bright, but at the same time, it's got this sort of slight again comic. You know, it's it's comical, but it's it's a sinister undertone with the um, with obviously you know Tutti getting captured and things like that, and the evil witch yeah. until and it's just everything just blends so seamlessly together, and it just makes what is, in my opinion, one of the most 
complete and infallible games of all time. Excellent. So, my favourite level... Because Banjo-Kazooie, I think of in in sections. I, I have specific memories of various different sections of that game. Because one thing that was so amazing about Banjo-Kazooie is aesthetically, it was very striking because every area was different from the last. It had... Mm a wealth of variety in the way it looked and all these different characters and all these huge different pieces to it. And my favorite, like my favorite two, one was Treasure Trove Cove, the mm. Pirate Bay, um, which was awesome. You get to go on a pirate ship. There are sharks. You fly up and down the caves and stuff. Excellent. And the other was the Egyptian level. I forget the name of it, uh, where you go in like a pyramid and you do... Gobi, Gobi Desert. Don't, yeah, the Gobi don't. Desert, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite area? Do you have a favorite level? I think I do. Um, I think I would have to go with Mad Monster Mansion. Mad Monster Mansion. That, so that's more towards the uh, getting towards the end of the game kind of area. And it, it well, is, yeah, it, it's it's sort of mid-game area. Yeah. yeah, and it has that haunted house in the middle that plays that excellent music where you're sort of creeping <sighs> outside that, of it. That- Music just bum 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 bum. <laughs> I just oh god, it's just so. I think. There's just something so appealing about going around and obviously you go into the house and everything is, is huge in comparison to Banjo in the main room yeah. and everything. It's just, it's, and you've got the church and everything and the, the piano and everything. I think it's probably, um, probably got the most variety of all the levels and um, the aesthetic is this sort of creepy, you know, obviously it's a creepy haunted mansion, but at the same time, it's comical, it's fun and you get to be a pumpkin. You do. You do get to be a pumpkin. One of the things about Banjo-Kazooie is uh, you could get, you could change into, di- and that was another part of the gameplay that a lot of people forget about is some levels require you to change into different animals. There's like an ant, so you could change into a pumpkin. Um, and the gameplay almost like completely turns on its head, and it's different. Like, when you're the ant, you can go up hills that you previously couldn't. It, it's, it adds that variety to it. It did, yes. It was. Um, I mean, the, the the animal transformations in the um, in the first game, um, obviously they were they were present in Banjo Tooie as well. They um, they were very um, they were very limited. You couldn't attack, which um, I thought was one of the really important things, with the exception of um, transforming into the crocodile in Bubble Clue Swamp. Yeah, and um, I thought that was it, it was. It always felt like, you know, sort of, oh, you've got to do the animal transformation. Oh, it's really exciting. What's it going to be this time? But at the same time, there was that level of apprehension thinking, how, you know, sort of, am I going to be trapped? Is it going to be difficult to turn back? And things like that. And quite often it was. <laughs> so then on, uh, I have two questions for you. <laughs> First is, nuts and bolts? What do you think? <laughs> have you played it? Oh, oh, I've I've played it. I've played it. I really like nuts and bolts. Oh, okay. That is not what I was expecting. Uh, please, but I don't explain. think it should be a banjo game. Okay. Well, technically, it, gameplay wise, it's not a banjo game. It's a banjo skinned game. It has the skin. Yeah. Uh, it, it it feels like this game that started out as a very normal Benjo Kazooie game, but obviously had a very hampered development cycle and ended up being something completely not Banjo Kazooie. I um I, I found that something interesting. Well it's it's only a rumor, it's only a whisper on the breeze. 
Um, apparently, Rare were never intending to make a new Banjo game. And you know that trailer that released with like the drawings that were appearing? And uh, it was like, oh, it's going to be a new Banjo game. And everyone got really excited. Yes. Apparently, that was just made by Microsoft. Rare did not get told about it. They just saw it at the same time everyone else. Because it had the Rare logo as well. It had the Rare logo, and Microsoft were perfectly legally within their rights to do it. But apparently, Rare did not even know that this trailer was being made until it was made, and it was released. (laughs) So they had to make a new Banjo game. (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 only a rumor though i don't know whether that's actually true um because i i know microsoft are um <clears throat> a bit devious from time to time i don't know whether they'd go that far though it's very intriguing i don't know what the what purpose it would serve other than to inspire rare to make a banjo game and to entice people to not buy nintendo instead i don't i'm not honestly sure what it could have, you know, by that time that that trailer was released, they had stuff like Halo, they had Gears of War. It was coming to the Xbox 360 peak generation, so it's very odd, very odd to. Be yes, doing that's that kind of thing. that's that's one of the things that makes me think maybe it's a, a little bit overblown or something. But you know, sort of, you know, you know how these sort of the uh, the, the whole sort of Chinese whispers system, absolutely, and things like that, yeah, it goes through. So I don't I don't know how much credibility there is to it, but you know, it's. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting thought, isn't it? it well, it would explain a lot. It, it would put some context to a situation that didn't look like it had the it was the best of times for the studio. That's for sure, because yeah. it is one of their much loved IPs and characters. And oh, yeah. but yeah. the nuts and bolts just it didn't wasn't well received. It, surprisingly some people did like it i have a few friends that liked it as well i didn't personally like it very much and that was out of sheer disappointment that it was the banjo kazooie game that it was um but speaking of sort of rare and their ips obviously not rare but a different studio we are soon going to be seeing ukulele uh gameplay we're going to be seeing a demo soon um do you have high hopes that this will finally recreate the Banjo Kazooie that you've wanted for a while? I, I don't think it. I don't believe it's going to be Banjo Kazooie because I think um, I think Platonic is smarter than that. It's going to be a spiritual successor, so it's going to have a lot of the elements of Banjo Kazooie, but it's not just going to be Banjo Kazooie because it's been done. Yeah. Why would why would they just repeat what they've already done? They go. It's going to be very similar, and it's going to be certainly within the same vein because it's a three D pr- platformer. But it's going to evolve it, and it's going to make it new and interesting and different, and it's going to make it relevant to um, the current generation. Also, I will just say one word: June. June. Yes. June. We will see in June. I hope that's the game's it. not coming out in June. Don't think. That. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say insider information. Alex Olney, you put no, it here no, first. <laughs> no, 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 God, no. If I was if I was privy to any specific details, I would never, I would never breathe them. <laughs> um, let's just say, let's just say June. That's well. We'll certainly going to see the gameplay demo is coming out for backers, so we will see some gameplay videos, some true gameplay videos, not demonstrations that they've done so far of what it kind of is going to be like. Obviously, they've been revealing more information recently. We've seen new characters. We've seen the bad guy, who kind of looks like the guy from the 
Dominion's thing. What's it called? I forget. Despicable oh. Me. He kind of looks like that character. Yeah. Um, so that one film that was kind of all right and then basically became filth. Well, exactly. <laughs> it spawned this other thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to be seeing that soon. Did you did you detect the undertone with the story? No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't really been paying much attention to it. To basically, be honest, basically the the, the storyline is is that the um, uh, basically this is uh, I can't remember the name of the chap actually. Um, but he he's uh, the the main villain. But he's basically buying everything up and essentially you know just sort of it's just corporate greed and ah. things like that. And he's buying everything out and things like that. And um, I don't know for sure, but it seems to be some sort of allegory for um, Microsoft. <laughs> well. obviously I, I don't think it's any secret that everybody at Platonic who was originally at Rare which is most of them um, they are not happy with um, that they weren't happy being at Rare anymore when Microsoft swooped in it was a turbulent time obviously Rare are not the company they once were and they are. obviously something happened something happened along the way um, Microsoft, Microsoft got their fingers. They got they got their fingers into Rare, and they wanted to. They didn't want to let go. They had their control over them, and they thought, "Hey, this is a really great studio. You know, they make really good games. So why don't we make them make a bloody Avatar system? That seems like a decent use of their skills." It's it's very strange. Obviously, I don't want to go on about the Rare. I don't know any, not much about what happened, but it's very rare very rare it's very rare for someone like microsoft to take a studio that is rare or not they may be not like the big uh, biggest of hitters but towards the peak end of the 90s going into the early 2000s they were releasing game after game after game that was getting eight nines tens uh for they, the N64. They, were, they were easily one of the biggest names in gaming without yeah. a doubt so it's very weird to take them when they've they're almost at their peak um and then not give them creative freedom to just do what they want to, to task them with certain things. I don't know whether Rare pitched games to Microsoft and Microsoft shut them down. I don't know. Um, but to not allow them... You know, the stuff that Rare gave Nintendo certainly made Nintendo... Well, helps Nintendo where they are now. Uh, in oh, When yeah. people look back at the N64, there are so many games like GoldenEye, Perfect Dark... Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, uh, Donkey Kong 64, people look back and they're like, I remember those games, those great Nintendo games, and, oh, they're rare games. Yeah. Even when you go back to the well, Super I, Nintendo I, I before the, it. Um, sorry? Even even when you go back to the Super Nintendo before it, you got all the Donkey Kong Country games. And yeah, you got Country, you got all sorts, haven't uh, you? Exactly. So Killer Instinct as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's very strange for... What it was just an odd well, acquisition should have not happened. Yeah, the the best way to um, the best sort of game to look at for that is um, the game Conquer Live and Reloaded. Ah, oh, yes, the sequel to Conquer. Well, it, it's not a sequel, really, right. is it? It's, it's, it's a it's it's a it's a re-release with some extra stuff tacked on top. Yeah, and the extra stuff is is fine. It's good, but the um, <laughs> the game itself it's it's identical in. You know, sort of ninety percent identical to Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Yes, but the game, obviously, the game looks a lot better. I mean, the game, I mean, it's an Xbox, it's an original Xbox game, and it looks like a three hundred and sixty game. 
not not a good 360 game, but it looks like an early 360 game without a doubt. There are 360 okay. games that look a lot worse than Conquer. Um, but the thing is, you it looks great, it plays great, but for some reason, whilst Nintendo were fine with all of the uh, the potty mouth that was in the game, um, Microsoft made them cut out a load of words. <laughs> Which is so strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 so blissfully, wonderfully backwards compared to what you would expect. But yeah, Microsoft didn't want um, didn't want uh, them saying I, I don't want to say it um, because I'm in polite company. But um, they didn't they didn't want them to say the S word. So every single instance of that, including the um, the song of the great mighty uh, the great mighty Pooh. Yep, uh, has been uh, has been bleeped out, and it's it's just it's a shame, and you know, sort of it seems almost there, there pointless. Was, there was censorship in the original, and usually, you know, sort of censorship within you know, sort of sen- sensible censorship. Things like um, like the thing with Xenoblade Chronicles X, with uh, the character, um, the young character, the thirteen-year-old, not being scantily clad. Yeah, I agree with that because in this culture, that's just that's just not acceptable. You know, it's it's just it's a cultural thing, and you know, sort of. I know a lot of people got annoyed about that, but you know, it's it it just comes down to the uh, a thing of culture. It's just not acceptable um, in this culture to have you know prepubescent, scantily clad girls in a game. Yes, but anyway, I, I I'm I'm getting off the topic. Yes. <laughs> shall, shall we shall we move on to the next game before we bore people even further? <laughs> we should indeed. I think we divulged a bit from Banjo Kazooie a bit more into digging into rare than we should have. But let's listen to some excellent music from the next game and uh, go straight into it. Marvelous. Okay, so Alex, the next game you've chosen, um, designed by Chris Sawyer and his studio, Chris Sawyer Productions, originally released for March 1999 for the Windows PC, it allowed players to build their own theme parks. But unlike yes. its very similar competitors, it had more emphasis on building the craziest roller coasters possible. It also received two expansions and had really good reviews. Uh, the game you've chosen is Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yes, so much better than Theme Park World, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Was this because that, of the more emphasis on creating crazy roller coasters? I think it's just it's just a better made game. You know, a lot of people are saying, hey, you get to ride roller co- you get to ride the roller coaster in this game. And it's sort of in um you know, like in a theme park world, and I was like, so it doesn't look <laughs> it just look, it it runs like arse, to be honest, um, in comparison. And well, I think one of the reasons um, the Roller Coaster Tycoon was so universally received, uh, so universally well received, 
is that it runs so well. I mean, you've got so much going on in that game, and I know it's only it's two D. You know, it's it's um, sort of three D. It's isometric. Isometric, it's yeah. Huge. Um, but it just it comes down to the fact that the whole thing is written in assembly, which is the like beyond binary is the um, uh, the most basic code you can possibly use, and it, it apparently I know almost nothing about coding, but apparently it's an absolute pig to work with. <laughs> but very, very efficient. Extremely efficient. So, specifically about Roller Coaster Tycoon, then, why have you chosen it to go with you out of all of the games you potentially could have chosen? Well, because you can play it. You can play it forever. Every time you play the game, it's different. You can um, you can create the most ridiculous roller coasters that you can possibly imagine. You can theme everything. There's basically Excuse me. There's basically an almost limitless amount of gameplay in there, and every second of it is just as sweet as the last. Do you have a a memory or a story of one of the greatest Alex Olney theme parks you ever created? I have a memory of the greatest pair of roller coasters I ever created. <laughs> please, please enlighten me. Well, they were called vertebrates and invertebrate. They were parallel alongside one another, and all they were is they were powered launch, they went through a loop-de-loop, went up in a, went up in a small um, a small spiral, and then went back down again. Excitement rating, nine. <laughs> there was but something about that. Build, very was... quick, so quick turnover. It was just, it was the perfect roller coaster for milking people dry. <laughs> there was something I read a, a long time ago about the actual system for uh, what creates the excitement uh, of the... Uh, theme park goers in that game and supposedly it just didn't work very well <laughs> it was it was almost to the point where it was kind of random yeah i mean you could if, if you made a roller coaster and it got you know a, a five on the excitement rating and you made another roller coaster that was exactly the same like absolutely identical it would still get a five so you know it, it was it was consistent but you didn't nobody really understood it <laughs> it was very difficult. I remember trying to wrap my brain around it. Um, Rollercoaster Tycoon. Was, yeah, yeah. Rollercoaster Tycoon was the, uh, this thing for me where I played it a lot with my brother, and we had no idea what we were doing. We were very young, we <laughs> young entrepreneur businessmen who ran a theme park. <laughs> Mostly, young people got dude, sick God. in. <laughs> but um, the level of detail. Because it wasn't just roller coasters, you could have haunted houses, you can have dodgems, you can have all sorts of crazy things. And just <laughs> you'd start in this big open green space, and by the end of it, you'd have this sprawling mass of entertainment with just all these weird rail tracks going all over the place. And it's and you had to quite... plan in advance, didn't you? you had to yeah, think, okay, absolutely. Am I going to need this space in the future? Yeah. How you know? How am I going to do a path here? Can I get a path going through this loop the loop? Yes, I can. I'm going to do that with every loop the loop. And it was weird. It's this weird. Uh, it's one of those weird games that fits into the ultimate aim is to basically have complete autonomy. Yeah. Like a, a system where essentially you're playing to a point where you don't have to play, where, where it, it runs itself. And and that's well, the it, ultimate it, achievement. It, <laughs> yeah, I think it. it, it um, it works so beautifully because it builds on the um, the very instinctive um, human feeling of ennui. 
where you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to improve. You're always not quite happy with everything. And so you're always <laughs> fiddling and tweaking and things like that. And eventually it all comes crashing down on you. And I think maybe that's a metaphor for life. But anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So are you going to be happy um, trapped on Outside Island wishing you could potentially go to your own theme parks? Uh, go to real life theme parks, I should say. No, nah, no, nah, I went. I went for like twelve years without going to a theme park. Not out of choice. Uh, just that's just how that's just how things happened. And um, I'm I'm pretty sure I could go longer enough as long as I've got roller coaster tycoon. Are you Are you good on roller coasters in general? Do they? Oh God, yeah, I love roller coasters. Oh well, that, <laughs> would you be willing to try your own roller coasters if they could be recreated in real life? Not even a little bit because I would. Have <laughs> <laughs> excellent wow so i killed a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> that's that is one of the downfalls of being roller coaster um, tycoon my friend <laughs> oh that's downfall that's half the fun of roller coaster tycoon is trying to kill as many people as possible whether it's launching them off a roller coaster or just picking them up with tweezers and dropping them in water <laughs> the blood is on your hands alex the blood is on your hands. <laughs> something I, I, I don't wish to put myself across as some sort of socio, sociopath or psychopath. But there was Please something, do. <laughs> something oddly pleasing about just picking someone up, dropping them, and actually watching them drown, and then they just disappear into the water, and you get the notification that guest 316 has drowned. <laughs> They had all those sort of simulation games like uh, Theme Park Hospital, uh, obviously Theme Park, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, Zoo Tycoon. They all had these weird dark places you could go if you wanted to. If you really wanted yeah. to, like you could put in Zoo Tycoon, you could put people in the animal cages and watch them get eaten. And that's, that's pretty I, dark. I don't, I don't developers are under any illusions that people want to do this stuff exactly it's it's like the sims putting them in the swimming pool taking the ladder away kind of nonsense isn't it that you just get in those pseudo simulation games yeah definitely <laughs> well you can kill all the people you like on roller coasters on outside island on your own while you're playing this next game um so let's yes. listen to some iconic music from a... Oh, I hope it's the one I think it is. <laughs> uh, hopefully I'll get it right then. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to some music and talk about the next game. you've chosen Alex for Outer Island uh, was originally released for the Dreamcast in June of 2001 developed by Sonic Team USA after they'd moved to San Francisco uh, it's published by obviously Sega this game is 
a GameCube port oh, of good. that game. Um, it's it's a Game Boy <laughs> it's a Game Boy port of the a GameCube port of the Dreamcast original, featuring updated content and a little tiny graphics tweet. Although not that big. Uh, it allowed players to take on either of two different stories. One with Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles, the traditional good team. And then the other with uh, Shadow, Eggman, and Rouge. The reviews were pretty mixed. Some were good. Some were bad. Uh, it had a lot of technical issues. And people look back at it fondly. But when they go back and play it, it's not actually that good. You've chosen Sonic Adventure 2, the battle version. I have indeed, and you're right. It's not a very good game. <laughs> is this more? Uh, is the up up to now? You've chosen games that are along the lines of replayability, good games, um, but not apart from Banjo Kazooie, maybe not quite nostalgic enough. Well, no, I mean there, there is there is a huge amount of nostalgia with Sonic Adventure Two Battle. Um, That's what reason- I mean. Is this finally the the we're getting into more nostalgia territory now? Yeah. The um, the reason I picked it is partly to do with nostalgia, but also partly because the game's not very good on the whole, but there are small moments in the game that are absolutely excellent. And I'm talking I'm talking about the Sonic and Shadow stages. Okay. They're really good. They're really good. They're, they're, <laughs> they are the epitome of what should be 3D Sonic. And it's the it, it's just so fantastic you know you you're running around sonic in three you know you're running around as sonic in three dimensions you are you know you're grinding down rails you're doing all of this doing all of that it's just it's absolutely magical to do all that stuff and then you go to the real bit of the game which is the chow garden yes the and that is primarily why i chose this because i have probably I have probably sunk about 500 hours into a chow garden. 500 hours? How many chows did you raise? I'd get home from school, I'd go in the chow garden. I'd wake up in the morning a little bit early, I'd go to the chow garden. When I was at school, I used to transfer a chow onto my Game Boy Advance, and I'd use the tiny chow garden. (laughs) I had... Every chow you could imagine. I had an invisible chow. I had translucent chows. I had chaos chows. You name it, I had it. Why? I I don't I don't get it. I played Sonic Adventure, and I don't I didn't particularly get too enraveled, enthralled, we should say, with the chow garden stuff. I don't know whether it was I was young and I just wanted Sonic action, fast speeds. Um, but what specifically was it about the chow garden that kept you? Going back, obviously they were cute and that kind of thing, but was it kind of like having a Tamagotchi? It was just one of those things. You don't, you can't really specifically put your finger on why it was so alluring. It was just something you did? I think, um, in part, um, my brother and I shared a chow garden. Um, so I think that was part of it. You know, sort of so that, you know, my brother and I, we were playing it together, essentially. We had our own chow. We used to race them against one another, all that sort of thing. Um, also, I think it was just, um, it's a very wholesome experience. And it's it's beyond most virtual pet games because you actually walk around and you are there with the chow. You get to, you know, you get to run around with them. You get to feed them. You get to play with them. Yeah. And there was there was so much to unlock and it took a long time. So there was that. There was a definite sense of progression in there as well that you don't get with a lot of virtual pet games. And you could have so many, and you could unlock different Chow gardens. And I knew so little about them 
these um you know the, the chow gardens when i actually got the game okay in fact i'm not sure i knew the chow existed um that it was so when i did get it it was just it was just magical just have all of this extra content outside the game and it was all so good and so enthralling and you could send your chow to school and they used to sit there and they used to sing like da ga di da da ni it's adorable <laughs> and um what, what, uh, my oldest friend who um uh sadly sadly has moved to america because for some reason he wanted to go there um well he, he went to get married but that's another point um i used to play a lot with him as well and um because he, he only used to live down the road to, uh, from me so we used to race our chow we used to compete and all these sort of things and try and see who could create the best chow and you could never create a perfect chow which was interesting you could never create a chow that was good at everything i mean you could create a chow that was good at everything but if you specialized in one area, it would. Um, if you got a child that specialized in just swimming, for instance, and you had a child that was really good at everything else, the swimming child would just wipe the floor with them. Did you play any of the uh, other mini games that you could get in Sonic Adventure? I'm not sure if Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, but you could have the downhill racing, the Sonic, I forget what it's called, but you could race uh, multiplayer uh, down the hill in San Francisco and all those tracks yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Did you play that a lot as well, or was it mainly you were just a chow farmer, essentially? I, I was mainly a chow farmer, but I did dabble in the um, in the multiplayer, and um, actually I think the multiplayer is one of the strongest points of the game, uh, looking back on it. I didn't play it that much when I was younger, I think primarily because, um, certainly not as, you know, I didn't appreciate it in the same way. I think that's mainly due to the fact that I didn't, I, I just wasn't as good, and so my brother used to beat me all the time. <laughs> And um, so, you know, there was, you know, I was a child, you know, I, di- I didn't want to play a game where I, I didn't have a chance of winning, you know? Well, fair enough. That's a, that's a fair enough. You don't want to always be losing? No, no. But did I you, mean, did I, you I make the best yeah. chows, though? Sorry? Did you make the best chows, though? Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, Without well, a doubt. Oh. Because they were mine. <laughs> what, was, what was your favorite chow? What was his name or her name? Do you remember? Ooh. Yes, I do. The thing is, it's difficult to choose. I had um, I had a chow called Xavier, um, which is well, most people will know it. it's um, it's it's a French name. Um, people will know it as Xavier. Okay. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I chose that name. <laughs> young, just young. Young, young mind. <laughs> it, was a, it was a name that began with an X, and X's were cool. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> and um, you know, so so. Uh, Xavier, Xavier, or uh, Xavier, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, that was my best chow. He was a Chaos chow. He was a neutral Chaos chow. So he looked like um, he looked like Chaos Zero, which was awesome. And um, he was uh, he was normal coloured, so he had all the normal colours going on. But I also had another chow called Dis, and Dis. Um, he was a Dis D I S, yeah, named after the deepest circle of hell. And he was a he was a chaos chow. He was a, a dark chaos chow, and uh, again he was normal colours. So he had um, he looked he looked the business as well. So he had these devil horns and this flaming bobble and everything. It just looked so cool. I think we're learning a lot about you today, Mister Alex Olney. You uh, <laughs> have you, you like to kill people through roller coaster related <laughs> accents. You like raising hell named. Chaos, uh, like chow spawn chaos monsters while slaying monsters uh, collecting jigsaw pieces 
Yeah, that's that's basically me in a nutshell. So I'm not, I'm a, I'm a simple man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now, and uh, right, so. it, it's a little different from the game we just talked about, and it's more you fighting the good fight than the bad fight as well. So yeah. maybe you can and redeem it, yourself. It's also not on a Nintendo system. That's also very true. It's not, and it's uh, one of the it's one of the newer newer games in your list as well. So mm. let's listen to some music and have a chat. So, Alex, the next game you've chosen, uh, well, it, it, the game you've chosen is, is what comes bundled with what you actually chose. So, you have chosen a PC expansion originally for the excellent XCOM Enemy Unknown, uh, but the game did release uh, a, the, as an expansion bundle, uh, like a standalone release called the Commando release um that came with the original XCOM Enemy Unknown and this expansion uh for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 developed by Jake Solomon and his team at Firaxis it featured a wealth of new gameplay options and featured an entirely new enemy to face off against with uh it reviewed extremely well just like the the original game uh XCOM Enemy Within the actual yes, expansion within it's oh it's just I mean, uh, much much like games like Fire Emblem, um, it's one of those. It's a tactical RPG, and it is just so brutal and hardcore. And I mean, if you play on an Iron Man run, you can't load your save. Every single time you take an action, it saves, and it saves the outcome before you see it. So it doesn't matter what you do; you cannot go back and fix your mistakes. Everything <laughs> is. Perfect. Yes, I do love it's the Iron just, Man mode. Oh, it's just. But the only thing is, be careful. My brother did an Iron Man run, and he was literally on the last level, and the uh, the uh, civilian he was trying to escort got stuck in a wall. Oh no! Do anything. The oh god, that's heartbreaking. That is, yeah. I'm sure even Jake Solomon himself would admit that was heartbreaking. Yes. <laughs> So specifically, why have you chosen Enemy Within then? Obviously, you wanted the expansion. You didn't even name Enemy Unknown on your list. You were just like, Enemy Within, I'm having this. Well, that, that's the version I had. And um, I think that the the um, things like the the mech suits and the... Um, Obviously. Uh, all, all of the different augmentations you can have, yeah. they really expand the gameplay. And, um, you know, there's just there's just more content in it. You know, why would you, why would you have... Um, you know why have a hamburger when you can have a steak at home it's that sort of thing only that's more to do with sex um <laughs> it's you know so why why would you go for the um why would you go for the weaker version of an incredible game you're always yeah. going to go for the better version and that is the better version 
what why like XCOM then obviously you mentioned like Fire Emblem out of all the tactical RPGs you could have potentially chosen um, what makes the difference for XCOM in comparison to a game like Fire Emblem for you um, Fire, Fire Emblem is Fire Emblem is fantastic do not get me wrong and um, if anything I would say it's if anything a little bit more heartbreaking when you do lose someone because every single character is characterised Yes, you know, absolutely. The, the generic, they're not just these generic marines that you sometimes gain an attachment to, but it's the fact that um, every single time somebody, you know, so that that game makes you its bitch. If you make a mistake, well, any sorry, any time something goes wrong, you feel like it's your fault, even if it's just down to like a you know just sort of a random chance, a dice roll or something you feel like you let the people down. You were the one who got too close to the chrysalid. You should have kept your distance. You should have got the sniper down there. You know, you think about all these things that you should have done and you can't go back and change them. So there's that inevitability. And the only thing you can do is, it's in a way, almost like Monster Hunter in the way that you have to learn each individual monster. You've got to learn the best ways to take them out, the best ways to prevent being killed by them. And it just comes down to nothing more than be careful and one slip up and you can, you know, sort of, you, if you lose one fighter, one, one troop, one soldier, whatever you want to call it, use one, you lose one soldier. That usually has a domino effect because immediately your defenses are hampered. Yes. So, I mean, if you, I mean, and if, you know, heaven forbid you lose your sniper, goodbye Vienna, you know, you've got to get out of there. You've just got to, You've just got to escape the mission because you've you've lost your long range. You've lost Especially that line of sight as well, haven't you? That sort of advantage you can have. Um, exactly. Yeah. With XCOM as well, it's not afraid to. It doesn't matter what uh, difficulty you're playing on, even if you're playing on one way, you can reload. Um, it's almost like the. Iron Man stuff doesn't really change the way the gameplay works anyway. They're, it doesn't matter what difficulty you're playing on, they're not afraid to throw extremely tough enemies at you. And stuff that no, you really no, have to sit there no, and think they, about. There are no pulled punches at all. I mean, even the... I can't remember what they're called. The um, the little... The, the, the sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, the basic enemy, the little grey aliens. Um, what are they called? That's going to bug me now. Um, they, sectoids. Even they... Sorry? Is it the sectoids? Sectoids, that's it, yeah. Is that is that right? Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> the, the little basic, basic enemy, if you like, the little grey aliens, even yeah. they can be an absolute pain in the ass. The most basic enemy can still be an incredible challenge. If there's, if there's one of them, not so much. If there's two, they can cause serious damage. Yeah. And of course, then they get better, and then you get the, the ones with all the psychic powers... And that's when you turn the game off and cry in a corner. <laughs> what? <laughs> and so, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, but a game that can do that fairly, I love. It's the same same thing as, um, you know, sort of people talk about Dark Souls being very hard. And Dark Souls is very hard. But without a doubt, I would say XCOM is harder. I, I think, the, the I think there is a slight difference between the, like... Dark Souls is a lot about learning enemy patterns, getting better sort of reactions yourself, whereas XCOM requires you to think, maybe outside the boundaries of your own intelligence sometimes. <laughs> you really need to be like, okay, okay, like, 
it's almost like chess. It's yeah, okay. So if I move here, what what's going to happen? Okay, this guy's going to probably move forward. Am I going to have a good chance at hitting him in the head? What if I move this guy? And then a thin man appears. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. And it keeps changing it up all the time. And to its yeah. absolute, um, one of its best qualities <laughs> is it doesn't matter if you lose. You're like, damn, why the f- why why did I do that? And then you're like, instantly reload. It's it's yeah. it's that kind of game. It's not a game. I've never found XCOM frustrating. I've always found it difficult. And at times I'm like, God damn, how am I going to do this? And especially when you're in a mission and then you pass the mission and then you go back to your base and you look at the clock and you're like, oh, what's the point? I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going nowhere here. The time is not on my side, but yeah, it doesn't it, it, deter it, it, you from playing at all. No, it always feels like the odds are stacked against you, but not so much that it makes it feel impossible. And that makes the victories like, feel... Of course you've got a chance that you can do this. Of course you can do this. You've just got to do it right. Absolutely. And that's why the victories feel so good, because oh God, yeah. you feel like you've so outsmarted an, a difficult opponent. Like yeah. You have come out on the top of a very lopsided and difficult battle. And I, th- I think the um, one of the things um, with obviously it, it being turn based that makes a big difference is the fact that you do feel when it's not your turn and you can see what's going to happen, you feel completely helpless and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So just quickly before we move on to the next game, um, XCOM Two, did it hold that same? Did it improve upon what you thought was good about Enemy Within? Um, and and have you have you enjoyed it so far? Obviously, it was only released in February, so it's not even been out that long. I wish I knew. I haven't played it. Oh really? No, no, too, many, too many too many Nintendo Wii U games getting released. <laughs> I see. <laughs> it comes down to only three elements: time, yes, money, and being used to getting games for free. That's very true as well. And obviously, in the realms of your. Yeah, this is the only game on your list that... Well, actually, technically not. Roller Coaster Tycoon as well. Um, it's the only game... And another one. And another one. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Yes, you're right. Correct. Man, I am awful at reading today. No, you're last, week, last week, I was awful at speaking. This week, I'm awful at reading. I think I'm slowly having like a stroke over a period of a few weeks. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so it's right. one of the only games to not feature on a Nintendo console. And obviously your job at Nintendo life is primarily to review Nintendo content. So obviously yeah. you wouldn't get XCOM to the Wii U version. I... <laughs> Damn, I wish there was a, I wish there was a Wii U version. Can you I imagine think... XCOM on the, game, the Wii U gamepad? That would be yes. superb. That would be so good. I'm throwing it out there right now. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> it's never going to happen, I but it would it work. It's words when I'm in public, but yes, <laughs> I reckon that would work. The gamepad doesn't get enough praise. I like that. I like that yes. little thing. So, little. we're going to move on to a Nintendo game. We're going to move on to a Nintendo game now. Um, so let's listen to some excellent music. It's a game we've spoken about a lot on this show before. Um, let's Let's do it. <laughs>
So, Alex. So. This is the only Mario game on your list. It is. Um, and it's a good one. It's a very, very good one. It's uh, developed by Nintendo EAD Tokyo and produced by Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto and released for the Nintendo Wii in November of 2007 with a Wii U release coming uh, last year. Players take Mario on a series of platforming adventures in space with gravity-defying cameras perspective and all kinds of crazy platforming genius by Nintendo. Uh, it's one of the highest-ranking games of all time. And... It's Paper Mario Sickerstar! <laughs> it's... It's Mario and Luigi partners in time. No, it's uh, it's the very classic, excellent game, Super Mario Galaxy. Super Mario Galaxy. Alex, is this your favorite Mario game of all time? No. Ah, I like that. So specifically, why have you chosen Super Mario Galaxy to take to the deserted island of on uh, outside instead of your favorite Mario game, which is? My favorite Mario game is Super Mario World. You good man. Good, you listened to last week's episode with Mr. Ben Parfait from MCV, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you? Where we we spoke at length about how Super Mario World is is the best Mario game and it only is. just edges a hair above Mario Galaxy. So specifically, well, why have you chosen Mario Galaxy instead of Mario World? I, I wouldn't even say Mario Galaxy was my second favorite. This is very this is getting interesting. What is happening here? So what? Well, the thing is, the, re- the the reason I didn't choose Super Mario World is I've played it so many times. I love it to pieces, but I have played it to death. Yes. Okay. And I feel I'm contented. I feel I've had my fill of that game. I will go back to it in in a year's time. I'll play it again. But I've played it through, you know, twenty five, thirty times. <laughs> it's a great game. It's it's almost yeah. flawless, but I've played it so much. Okay, so why Mario Galaxy then? Well, my second favourite is Super Mario 64. But I prefer Banjo-Kazooie over Super Mario 64. So you kind of feel like from that... I'm trying to spread spread it out. Yeah, so you kind of feel like from that era, Banjo-Kazooie covers what you would get out of Super uh, Mario 64. Um, For the most part, yes. Okay. I, I I feel the games are too similar. Whilst Mario Galaxy is very different... Um, to Banjo Kazooie and things like that, it, um, Mario 64 is just too close. And there's no point in having two very, very similar games when you're not going to be able to play any other game for the rest of your life. So, so I chose Mario Galaxy because I like Super Mario Sunshine as well, but Mario Galaxy is just more polished. I love, I love the, uh, the different things with the, uh, the gravity, um, you know, sort of the, the, all the different gravity effects and things like that. Um, the charm of the game is borderline perfect it's just everything is just so wonderful about that game the tone uh, it's a shame about the final boss but it's a mario game what do you expect um <laughs> of course yeah. and um it just it's it's just so pleasing to play i think i don't think i can put it any better than that it's just so pleasing it it is in it it just has a certain vibe to it very very it's 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 weird because I always think of Mario Galaxy and some, something no one really touches on is the sky in the background. It's it's pitch black almost. It's it's a night yeah. sky. It doesn't have a blue sky. It's not really colorful. But the environments within that, like 
every world is like a luscious green or it has beautiful yellow platforms um and all these different types of enemies that are like very vibrant reds and blues and it's it's weird no one ever talks about the contrast of the the background of the skybox essentially is just a night sky it's a dark overcast and it works and it does it does work you know you know you know they you know they say that um you know when you get everything right people aren't sure you've done anything at all that was futurama or something wasn't it i yeah something along those lines and um i think i think that holds very true in that regard um people look at mario galaxy and they might sort of think oh yeah it was a great game but you know sort of oh yeah it was you know people didn't think it was you know like hugely exciting or it went up and down in quality everything it's consistent quality all the way through it's incredibly polished every level is as good as the last yeah you do, those sort of games don't come around very often i think the only thing that let mario galaxy down i think was the power-ups were a little a little weak in my opinion a bit wacky. like the b I think oh, the, I like B. I like uh, B. It, it just felt like a kind of weak version of the Tanuki suit a little bit. Um, and especially in comparison to, obviously, we have Mario 3D Land. Is it Land, the Wii U one? Uh, world, well, World, World. Nice. Land is the 3DS game. 3DS, yeah. Yeah, uh, which had uh, quite an extensive amount of costumes and power-ups uh, in comparison yeah, to Mario Galaxy. Yeah, the cherry, the multiple thing was uh, awesome. That was awesome. I really like that. Stroke of genius, like nothing, no previous power up whatsoever, and it worked really well. Absolutely, and even the cat suit. um, It also opened up a lot of philosophical questions: which one was the original one, and what happens if (laughs) what it doesn't matter when one dies, you just keep on going, forget about that one. Yeah, (laughs) and even the cat suit. The cat suit, as cliche as it is. Climbing up walls, hiding hidden coins, and being able to pounce really far and, and swap things like you're a cat. Yeah, yeah. Wholly entertaining. Wholly entertaining. But, but there's just but Mario Galaxy feels much more cinematic. It feels less like a game and more like a journey. Exactly. And it's quite funny you're going to say that because one of Mario Galaxy's strengths is the orchestral soundtrack. Oh, it has oh. this in- entire orchestral sound. A Mario game with a, like a cinematic movie esque soundtrack. It's well, Gusty Gardens. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like no other Mario game has that, and it does make Galaxy feel a lot bigger than games like Mario 3D World. As the name would suggest, a, a galaxy is bigger than a is is, is bigger than a world. And it is that kind of cinematic feeling that does... Uh, forgetting about all the gameplay quirks about just incre- like wrapping your head around which direction to go and which way the gravity is working as you hop between each planet, which goes without saying with the galaxy. All in all, it's just this, it just feels like a big package, like, like, a, like, a, like a big AAA game, which is something that a lot of people miss with Mario games, I think. Hmm. And I, th- I think the only um, the only thing that I wish Mario Galaxy had would would be not using the nunchuck. I just want to use a controller. Now I know that's you know sort of because I, I'm an advocate for motion controls. I think they're great, but in a game like that, I mean, don't get me wrong, it uses it very very well. But I just think I would prefer it if I could just press a button to do the spin. To do the spin instead, yeah. Yeah. 
I think by I think by the end it becomes kind of like second nature, really, though, doesn't it? It's just that oh, initial it's start. Oh. It's not a big oh. issue by any stretch of the imagination. But if you said to me, "Do you want to play Mario Galaxy with a Wii Remote and Nunchuck, or do you want to play it with a Wii U Pro controller?" I'd take the Wii U Pro controller. I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. Wow. Mario Galaxy then. So, it, so does Mario Galaxy rank third then on the list? Or is the, I'd say it's my third favorite Mario game. Yeah, main series Mario game. Well, let's not. Let's let's keep it simple. How how did Mario Galaxy two compare? I haven't played much of it, so I didn't. I wasn't sure. You know that I would. I, w- I didn't feel comfortable putting it on the list without um, hedging those bets again. About it, yeah. Um, I've got it. I have got it, but I just haven't played it enough. Do you know what I mean? To solidify, you know, it's good, but not enough to solidify whether it's that not, good. Not enough to make the leap to take it on a desert island but... forever. <laughs> the the finite, infinite of space. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now as well, because I know you're a very busy man. Um, So we're going to push you to your penultimate game. And we're going back to the Nintendo 64 in the next one. So let's listen to some music and dive straight in. Alex, the next game you've chosen is the second rare title on your list. It is, today. yes. I but, have to be very careful not to include too many because yeah. I do rare to pieces. <laughs> but it's very different to Banjo Kazooie. Yes. It's very, very different. Um, but it's almost as loved. It's very, very loved, I think, this game. Um, it is. I, I, I wouldn't put it as um, high as Banjo Kazooie, but. No. But it's definitely up there. Well, it's a third-person shooter that released in October of 1999. Uh, players follow the story of the Jet Force Gemini team as they try to stop the Dark Insect Army of Mizar. Uh, it was originally developed as a title for the Nintendo 64's expansion slot, but it got changed. Uh, it was developed by Rare's Blast Core team. It received excellent reviews on release, continuing with that rare touch that they had um, back in the 90s. It's Jet Force Gemini. Jet Force Gemini. And I... Um, I... I'm going to uh, sort of go with a controversial statement here in the fact that I would not take the N64 version. Okay. Which version would you choose over the N64 version then? Well, there's only other one version. Yeah. I would take the Xbox One version. Yes, there is. And is this the Rare not Replay just, version? Not just because, by definition, I would have to take the hold of Rare Replay. Um, See, but, I've not. no one's chosen Rare Replay yet, and I've, well, I, I, I wonder. Well, I think it's being a bit cheeky. It's being a bit cheeky, I It think. is. People have in the past, like, we've had the Shadow and Colossus and the Ico HD collection. 
that technically is two games in one. It does come as a retail disc. So I technically would have to allow Rare Replay as it is a retail disc through. So you can have... See, if, if I could change that to Rare Replay, I would still take the N64 version of Banjo-Kazooie. Okay. You well, you'd want to play it with the N sixty four controller. Sorry, you'd want to play it with the N sixty four controller. It wouldn't feel right playing Banjo Kazooie with any other controller. It's not that. That's not the reason. <gasps> What's the reason? Cal Surprise. It's just simply the note collection system. Okay. In the re-release on rare on rare replay, which was originally an Xbox three sixty um, HD um, upgrade. You could, um, when you collected a note, it was permanent. So if you collected all the notes, then you go back in the level, there would be no notes. Okay. And that, well, you wouldn't and be so, able to listen so to the to, music, would so, you? Sorry? Well, you wouldn't be able to listen to the music as you run along through all the notes, which is always fun. Well, there is that, but more to the point, the frustration, well, not frustration, but the challenge in trying to get 100 notes without dying was is just it's just excellent and i really really wish they hadn't changed it in the re-release um because i mean well all i have to say to any banjo kazooie fans out there all i have to say is rusty bucket bay <laughs> uh, getting notes on that was basically yeah. childbirth <laughs> <laughs> so then specifically why the jet force gemini xbox one version well specifically that version because it comes down to nothing more than controls the controls on the original were fine for the time they you know third person shooters didn't really exist on consoles so it was one of the first um i i, I couldn't say it was definitely the first but it was definitely very early and they were experimenting with control schemes um, it worked fine for the time, you know. It was it was an early early control scheme, but by today's standards, it's it's just not it's just not simple, and it it it's so frustrating to not be able to play the game um, as much as you want to because the controls feel like they're holding you back. Yeah. Um, but the Xbox One version, the controls are dandy. So tell me a little bit about Jet Force Gemini then. Why have you chosen Jet Force Gemini? Now we know which version you're taking. Why are you taking? Because why this never, rare game over, over the other rare games? I will never finish it. I've never finished Jet Force Gemini. I cannot beat Mizar even today. Okay. So is that? Have you gone back and tried since you were a kid? Yep. Okay. So this is just a sort of lifelong challenge to get over. I'm not. I'm not going to be able to die happy until I beat that game. <laughs> and on the outside island, you'd have all the time in the world to try. I would indeed, and I would finally stick enough rockets up Mizar's ass to finally take him down. <laughs> so, what about the game? Did you enjoy then? Uh, that would obviously replaying a game over and over again just to try and beat the bad guy would get a little repetitive what will keep what will keep it fresh playing jet force gemini in your opinion well just just going back and enjoying the game every time you play the thing is the game is so deep and complex for the n64 maybe not by today's standards but back then for the n64 so deep and complex and so sort of so almost impenetrable um in its uh, difficulty especially it's a very difficult game 
Well, it had the, an interesting system as well where your character went transparent so you could shoot. And it was like their way yes. of getting over the fact that you you didn't really have another camera to shoot. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah, no, it was just, it's just so, it's just so tough. And every time you go back and play, you think, oh, yeah, I know what to do. And then suddenly you realize, oh, no, no, I've forgotten. I've, I've got to do this as well. And, I, and I've got to do this. And you realize you've forgotten most of the game. And I've got a, I've got a really good memory for games which um, is is definitely not a good thing because you go back and you know how to do everything. It's boring. So I I still can't remember how to do half the stuff in Jet Force Gemini, even though I've played it. I played it like a couple of months ago because I've only recently got my Xbox One, and um, <laughs> partly to get Rare Replay. And um, <laughs> it was um, it just that that is so nice to be able to go back to play a game and not remember what you have to do and have to work it out all over again. And there are very few games that can do that. It's weird. I don't have... My most recent memory of playing Jet Force Gemini, actually, is in a pub in Lincoln in the UK. Yeah, in a pub where there was this pub in Lincoln that has an N64 hooked up to a TV randomly it's not a gaming themed bar by any stretch of the imagination and the uh, game they had in uh, the time was jet force gemini and i was trying to remember as much as i possibly could by trying to get through as fast as i could as far as i could by the time we left and i didn't get very far <laughs> you are uh, you're clearly very social that evening I, it wasn't even that it's just i had like no recollection of any of the environments because the environments are these kind of lush green jungle alien type, almost Halo-like environments. I yeah, yeah, there is there is um, there is a similarity to. Halo yeah, it's there. very I, very I, alien I, I, world. So, so far, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Halo ripped off Jet Force Gemini. Yeah, I wouldn't to- either, but it's very uh, it's not that dark, dingy sci-fi world. It's very colorful. It's very green, luscious, luscious green environments. Very nice uh, to look at as N64 games go. Um, but because of that, there's lots of high trees and stuff around you, and that makes mm. it very difficult to orientate yourself or to ex- exactly know where you are. But but I, but I would say it's actually one of Rare's um, darkest efforts. It's um, I think it's one of their most sinister games. Well, the enemies are horrible to look at. <laughs> the, the, the enemies are grotesque. I mean, obviously there's comedic value in it, but especially the music as well lends itself to being very... Very, it's it's a very um, it's a very hardcore, it's a very serious game. The, it is a very story, serious game. You know, Mizar is a complete ass. You know, and um, the bosses as well are these huge, grotesque insectoid things. These great big, and they, you know, they're not they're not pretty to look at. They're not like, hey, look at me, I'm a big funny insect. There's one that looks like a praying mantis, and that one just looks like it's dribbling and drooling all the time. Yeah, it's one that's huge and. Bulbous, it's just grotesque. It's horrible to look at, but it really makes you feel like you were really fighting this really cruel, you know, sort of um, this really cruel, sort of almost, un, you know, completely inhuman enemy. But then you shoot one of the drones, one of the normal enemies, and you shoot them in the leg. They fall down and they're lying there, flies buzzing around them as they're there dying. And they're there. They're just sort of twitching, limping. They're not. They're not dead. They're dying. And you can put them out of their misery, or you can just leave them, and they'll die by themselves. And it, it immediately makes you realise that 
although the um, the bosses and everything you'd completely dehumanize them. The general ground, you know, the general foot soldiers, they're just they're just not you know for for their species, they're just normal people. They are well, they're just people going around their normal business and or yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> it brings it home that you know it's it's quite a good allegory for raw uh, for 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 um uh, for uh, what the hell am i talking about well, for war i said raw that's war backwards. <laughs> that's never happened before um it's, it's a very good allegory uh, allegory for war because it shows that you know sort of you see the main enemy which is this huge you know this huge insect and it just comes down to mizar it's just one you know sort of one dictator that is trying to rule over everything and is just basically doing it for greed. I mean, hence the name Miser, you know, obviously coming from, uh, you know, the term Miser, you know, somebody yeah. who haunts. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's excellent. It's, it's one of the rawest games they've ever produced. Uh, one of the most enjoyable, one of the hardest, and one of the most revolutionary, I would say. It certainly um, helps get console shooters off the ground, especially with third person action games. And maybe yeah, not no. to the extent of like Goldeneye. Um and then Halo. No, no, no. But it, it, the third person was quite ingenious. The way they got around the use of the N sixty four camera by making your character transparent so you could have the clear reticle on the screen was very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So and it all just it all just boils down to an incredible experience that if you haven't played it, you've got to go and play it. And try and, next, try and beat it before Alex one, does. Why haven't you got Rare Replay? Just for Jet Force <laughs> alone, it's worth 15 quid. So that's more what my next question was going to be. If you couldn't take uh, Jet Force Gemini, what Rare Replay game would you take instead? Oh, blimey. I'm going to have to get the case down so I can rem- remind myself of all the wonderful things that are on there. Well, you've got uh, Battletoads. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it would be. Viva Piñata, Trouble in Paradise. Okay, so <laughs> Viva Piñata. <laughs> I bloody love me some Viva Piñata. The parallels between Viva Piñata and Jet Force Gemini are uncanny, Alex. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I think, no, I, I think, you know, sort of generally people who tend to stick to one genre in gaming, um, I don't know how many people there are out there who do that, but uh, if you are one of those people for whatever reason, you're doing yourself a disservice. Spread yourself yes, around. Absolutely. So, is Viva Pinata like Rare's only high point on as a part of Microsoft? Um, I would say, well, maybe not their only high point um, because I still really enjoyed Nuts and Bolts. Um, oh yes, but, obviously, yeah, yeah. But um, certainly, yes. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. well, Viva Pinata feels like Viva Pinata feels like a rare game, which was rare enough on the 360. If you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about Microsoft a bit more for your last game because we're we going to are. talk about arguably their biggest franchise ever. So let's yep. listen to some music and dive straight into it. Let's go. Thank you. 
the last game uh, you are taking to Outset Island in the wonderful world of Wind Waker. Today, Alex, is a spin-off title. It was developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft. It released worldwide on September 14th, 2010. It's the sixth installment in the incredibly popular Halo series, uh, but it only happens to feature the series' incredibly popular protagonist for a brief few seconds, if you've got a keen eye. Uh, the game tells the story of the planet Reach and its final day after a Covenant invasion takes place. Players take on the role of Noble Six, an elite soldier who's part of a, an elite squad. Um, it was the last Halo title to be developed by series creators Bungie before being passed on to Microsoft's new studio, 343. It received excellent review scores and is one of the highest grossing games in that series uh alex you've chosen my favorite halo game halo reach well it's the best halo game isn't it let's be honest and, i agree um, i obviously agree. You, had, you had the original halo which set the um set the ground you know set the foundations halo 2 was very experimental um it really got the multiplayer down though um and then you had halo 3 which was was good yeah um, the, it, it, expanded, it, expanded, it expanded upon the uh, on the multiplayer. <laughs> the single player was a, was, a, was a bit naff, to be honest. Um, it didn't feel it didn't feel like a, a satisfactory conclusion for me. Um, and then you had Halo Three ODST, which um, we're just gloss over. And uh, then you had Halo Reach, and it basically it was um, as they repeatedly put it, it was uh, Bungie's swan song to Halo, and they just got everything so right they got the um you know it was the first time that the um uh since uh, in my opinion the original halo that the single player you know really felt like it it was worthy of the halo name and the multiplayer was absolutely superb you had um all the you know they tried loads of new things with things like jetpacks and various different special abilities including yeah, you had the power ups didn't you special ability which um yeah but you know the less said about the better the better um but it, the, i i sunk so many hours into halo reach um you know don't get me wrong i i still play halo 5 today um i played halo 4 an incredible amount when the servers actually worked and um i think they're still technically up but they just don't work um but reach was definitely it was it was the peak. It was the best. Um, it was the best mix because I still I must admit I think Halo Four Halo Four's campaign is probably my favorite of the series, which is controversial. That is quite controversial because I was going to say Halo Reach I think is the pinnacle of both the single player and the multiplayer. Um, for anyone who sort of I feel like Halo is kind of a guilty pleasure when it comes to sci fi ness. Uh, sci-fi story it's kind of a cliche but if you look a little deeper into the lore it's quite good but reach tells the story of something different it, it tells a it tells a tragic story of a planet it's not even a planet it's like a tragic story about this city uh, and this team reach and the final planet. day yeah and it's horrible it's a planet it is the planet, but when you think of it in that kind of scale, it kind of feels a little weird. It doesn't. It doesn't hit on the hard emotion. I feel like Reach is really emotional, and you go through it is. All, yeah, it is. all these hardships. Like each level is really quite brutal. Um, it's almost like a slog. You're not a Spartan soldier. You're an. You're just an elite. You're a sort of like a normal soldier almost. You are like a special squad, but you're you're, you're, you're not Master Reach. Chief. You're not Master Chief, and. Hang on, are you, are you talking about you're talking about Reach, aren't you? Yes, 
You so, said you're not a Spartan. You are a Spartan. Are you, are you, but you're like a first generation, aren't you? You're not like Master Chief. No, you're, you're, no, you're a later gen. You're a Spartan 3. Are you? Yep. So oh, the, the Noble Squad are... Spartan 3s. Ah, Spartan 3s. Okay. So my mistake there. Um, they, they, um... <laughs> they're just not Chief, is what, essentially what I'm trying to say. With the law, man. Come on. <laughs> well, that's the thing about Reach, is I think it throws everything... At, Obviously, it was setting the ground for what happened in the later games. Um, but it kind of throws out all that sci-fi-ness, apart from, obviously, it takes place with aliens, invasions. But it's more about emotion. It's more about telling a story of what's happening around these characters. And it's brutal. It gives you, like, punch after punch. And you've got all these difficult set pieces that you have to go through. It's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Yeah. And and, well, and I think that's excellent nothing. storytelling. It's not all for nothing, but then when you get later, I don't want to give any spoilers away. But then when you get later into Halo Four and Halo Five, you realise maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I think even when you're playing it, though, the final scene kind of sets oh, the final the final mission in inverted commas, Lone Wolf. Yes, it it kind Where of feels you- like for personally personally for you as the character as Noble Six. It's all for nothing. Yeah. I, I, I love that. That final mission. Is excellent. Is just the perfect way to end that game. It's not, it's not just a cinematic of, you know, sort of, oh, and then Noble Six died a noble death, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you do, you do get that afterwards, but no, you are playing it. You are playing. Yeah. As, you know, sort of, you could probably argue the last surviving human on Reach, just trying to kill as many Covenant as possible. And that is... And you know, you, it's it's an endless. You know, you can't. I was going to ask, how long did you go on for before you before it clicked? Before you um, realised well, you weren't getting out of it. Well, I, the thing is, because um, because I'm quite into my Halo, I knew, you know, I know you. you I knew from the start you weren't going to get out of it, but I wanted to see if you could do anything. You know, whether you could trigger anything, but it's not. It's just. On- it's just <laughs> what it would be like. It's just real life. Just countless <laughs> waves of aliens. <laughs> And you know, it's just it's you know it's it's an it's an inevitability. It's one man, one man struggle against an unstoppable force. And you see him, um, you see Noble Six or or her. Sorry, you is, can Noble Six be a woman? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, because it's your I'm assuming, character, assuming it can. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I? But obviously, you know, I'm a man, so I didn't choose the female option. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's just you and the alien race, and it takes. It takes, I think, is it um, during that last cutscene when you've taken so much damage that the game says you've had enough now, um, and it take, cuts to that shot. It, it takes it takes something like, isn't it something like six elites to take you down? I can't, I can't remember. I just remember the, I, fight, I remember constantly fighting, and then the iconic shot of the helmet after that. Yeah. It's good. It's great. It's and it's. it's I, I felt like it was the single player at its peak. I I don't it know. Was, yeah. I, I it is controversial that you said Halo Four because that didn't sit right with quite a lot of people. A lot it of people. Find- I, I, but I do think it was the right move to bring it away from Halo to Halo Reach to give Chief that redesign and things like that to you know to say this is the start of something new. We're not just retreading old old ground yeah um i do wish in halo 5 the campaign was a massive anti-climax seriously i can com- i completed the campaign uh for halo 5 just um only a few days ago literally 
Okay. Because um, because every time I thought, I'll play a spot of Halo, I turn on my Xbox One, and it said, you need to update your Xbox One. Fine, I'll update Xbox One. And then Modern it's like, Halo needs an update. How big is it? And it's something like, you know, 20 gigabytes. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, I just don't have the patience. But I, um, I, I, I swore, you know, I, I sucked in my gut. I finished off the campaign. Yeah. And have you completed it yourself? I have not because I had to, I unfortunately had to sell my Xbox One to move to Japan and I've been in Japan since Halo Five launched so no. Ah, well, I won't I won't spoil anything, but uh, the the bulk of the campaign is good. I know a lot of people found it quite the boring. The last couple of missions, whilst the last couple of missions, whilst they're fun to play, the story just falls off the edge. Didn't a lot of a lot of people said it was quite misleading. Like a lot of the promotional campaigns was going to oh, be this God, yeah, no, was going to be this sort of war not. between Locke and Master Chief, and then you end and up yeah you end up playing Locke most of the game and then Chief for like ten minutes or something like that. No, no, no. It, it's more than that. I mean, I, I like playing as both of them. You know, I I like the character of Locke. He's a bit he's a bit plain Jane, but then again, so's Master Chief, and everyone loves Master Chief. It's just because Master Chief's been there for so long. Um, but yeah. I like I like playing as Agent Locke. Um, I like his uh, sort of he's like I say he's straight laced, but he's got a no nonsense attitude about him. Um, and I just I don't know I I do th- you know sort of they were saying you know discover the truth and things like that. Promotional material was saying things like discover the truth and all that, but it, it really wasn't. It was just there was there was no conflict. You know, it, it suggested there was going to be conflict between Locke and um, yeah, it absolutely Locke. did. Like the the adverts were Locke walking up to a body of Master Chief with a gun, and then it was the reverse, and it was Chief walking up to Locke, and it, and yeah, and that he was, was saying so blatantly get, obvious. Which is the real story? You know, is there, is there going to be some sort of decision involved or anything like that? And there's there's none of that. There's none of it. Weird. It's really, it was really. A slap in the face. It's just as well the multiplayer is really good. Well, and you know, let's sort of talk about fun. Let's talk about the multiplayer of Reach because that's the game you've chosen, and it's yes. my favorite. The maps, the the power ups, the guns, everything. I I love Reach. I, it's one of everyone has a university game or games, and I have stuff like Mario Kart Wii, Super Smash Brothers, Street Fighter Four, and Halo Reach. So Halo Reach is <laughs> the multiplayer specifically. Many, many hours. Many, 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 many hours. And, um, at least five hours. At, at least five times t- ten. And then <laughs> times that by ten. And Halo Reach multiplayer is ridiculously good, in my opinion. And it the is. introduction of stuff like the power-ups, and although I only ever chose sprint, because I'm that type of person, I like sprinting in shooters, um was just excellent. And the maps were amazing. They're ingrained in my head, even now. And so mm. when I play other Halo games, like I before I did sell my Xbox One, I played the Halo Anniversary Edition. So I was playing the old, you know, the old school Halo 2, and there was Halo 4 as well, and that kind of stuff. Um, it just felt weird, because I just wanted Halo Reach, and that's just one of the games that didn't get included. So Yeah. How, how did th- you feel about Halo Reach's multiplayer, then? It was, I think, Reach's multiplayer is the best of the series. Yes. Um, because uh, don't get me wrong, I think the multiplayer in the multiplayer in four and the multiplayer in five is is great. Don't get me wrong; it's um, it's a natural evolution. But the um, I think Halo Reach was the last of the sort of simplistic um, Halo multiplayers, if you know what I mean. Um, obviously, not simplistic, but you know, sort of having that 
that very baseline and you know sort of halo 4 and halo 5 it's much more complicated and that's good you know that's not a bad thing but there was something just intrinsically wonderful about the, the just the simple joy that came from halo reach absolutely i adore that multiplayer and um I wish I wish it had been included in although the Halo Anniversary Edition um the Master Chief Collection was an abomination of technical messes and horrible server issues having Halo Reach in that game would have made me very very happy. Yeah. It's a shame. It's, um, yeah, I, uh, I I don't actually own the Master Chief Collection for the simple reason that it doesn't own. work, so it doesn't matter. I own all the games. Why do I need to buy them again? <laughs> well, you bought Rare that, Replay. I think it. Well, so you know. Yeah. Well, you bought Rare Replay, so it kind of hits up on the same same points. Oh yeah, I know. But there's loads of games in Rare Replay that um, you know, sort of, I can play pretty much all the Halo games um, on very recent systems that are still that's plugged true. in. Yeah. Okay, um, that's fair. Rare Replay games are th- things like ZX Spectrum and things like that. <laughs> that yes <laughs> they're very easily available now <laughs> yes well alex halo reach is the final game you are taking with you to outside yes. island in wind waker alex it's been a pleasure having you on the show today oh it's been it's been a joy to chat it has and thank you so much for uh coming on the show and talking about all these games you and me are of, of uh, almost exactly the same age so we've grown up with the same systems and the same games that mean a lot to us. So it's been wonderful to talk about these games. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been an incredible amount of fun. No problem. Um, so the last question, this is the last question. Uh, <laughs> the last question, and I don't, I'm really interested in what you're going to choose here. Uh, the last question I asked my guests. So you are going to outside Island of Wind Waker. You are taking these eight games with you and you obviously have to have the consoles to play but you only have that one game but if you could choose any console including the back catalog the whole back catalog to take with you what would you choose that's a good one um blimey oh um and are we talking the whole back catalog here we're we're talking the whole back catalog yeah but you can't choose pc because pc's like cheating you can emulate shit on pc so no PC. Um. Good God. Um. Let me let me have a look at my drawer. Where I keep my <laughs> a, a leaf through to. So obviously, with a Nintendo sixty four, you'd have all the old school rare games. You'd have, but you know, you've got Rare Replay on the Xbox One. But would you really want yeah. to choose an Xbox One just for Rare Replay because that does not have a good back catalogue? In the grand scheme of things, no. Well, I mean, it's a newer console as well. You got to take into account. Um, Whereas you have stuff like the Xbox 360 has a wealth of games. The PlayStation 2 has a wealth of games. The Super Nintendo wealth of games as well. But uh, all large back catalogues. But it depends whether you got yeah, them. Yeah, but they actually use an Xbox 360 with all the modern updates. Well, you'd be able to play online, but when the servers get shut off in this world, you're unfortunately that you wouldn't be able to play online Halo Reach. I'm, I'm I'm just concerned with actually trying to get through the new the new updates and things like the new operating system on the Xbox 360, the the one that they released at the end. Okay, it's, it's just it's just awful. It's so badly optimized. <laughs> it's very funny when you I'm go back go, and I'm play. Gonna go with the N64. I'm going to go with the N64. The N64. The N64. Yeah. So you're going to get great games like Snowboard Kids, 
Mischief Makers, Super Mario 64, Banjo It also means you get to take Banjo Tooie. And you do. You get to take Banjo Tooie <laughs> as well. You do. And you get to take uh, all the other rare games that came out of the N64 yep, as well. Perfect Dark, you know, all Golden that Eye, Donkey Kong 64, all those wonderful games too. Alex, thank and, you so much for yeah. joining me today. Um, tell the wonderful people where they can find you and what you want them to uh, check out. Well, if you do want to hear more of my lovely, silky, smooth voice, which is not as lovely or silky smooth after all this talking, um, you can find me on NintendoLife.com and Nintendo Life's YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com forward slash Nintendo Life. You'll be able to see me and producing daily content, minus Sundays, because everyone's got to have a day off. And (laughs) we have a good laugh. We do all sorts of gaming things, all related, of course, to Nintendo. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it, uh, even if sometimes we get things wrong, which does happen occasionally, because we're only human. And when I say we, I mean me. I can agree. I'm a subscriber to the Nintendo Live channel. I see Alex's beautiful face every day and his wonderful catchphrase. You should definitely check that out, especially if you want to keep up to date with Nintendo stuff. Absolutely. So thank you once again for joining me on Final Games and sending all these wonderful people to deserted places. I'm such a horrible person. But if you like this horrible person, you can check me out on Twitter as well, at LiamBME, and also the show, at Final Games Show. If for any reason you want to email me, I've been receiving a lot of emails recently about the show, uh, so if you don't feel, don't be put off and thinking I won't read it or reply, I definitely will. I have a lot to get through, but I definitely will. If you want to email me, you can email me, finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes uh, please follow us on those things or rate and review and all those wonderful things uh, we're also on Patreon if you fancy supporting us in any way shape or form, a lot of people have and it's amazing that they do, I still can't believe this show is worth any monetary value, so thank you for your support so far um, I hope you'll join us next time goodbye there we go, that's the music point <laughs> just about it. <laughs>